the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the heart of innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Abbott. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm kind of flying solo here. Kim is on location in London at a Congress, so um, she's unable to make it. Today, we have a special Save My Piggies episode, and we are going to be interviewing J.R. Coates, who is a family practitioner, MD in Windsor, Canada. And he's going to share the story of his sister, Melissa Coates. And uh, it is a fantastic story, in my opinion, uh, about courage, perseverance. She unfortunately succumbed to cardio, uh, cardiovascular death, but she had what sounds like an amazing life. Uh, and JR is going to share that with us. JR also has uh, w- was diagnosed with uh, cardiovascular disease at a young age. So we're going to have a great, great conversation today. And as everybody knows, the, the genesis behind Save My Piggies is, allows us to devote time to a patient, their family, their care provider, and allow that patient to share their story. Um, it's all about patient advocacy. We're trying to raise awareness for various disease processes that don't necessarily get the limelight. They're not, quote unquote, as sexy as some other things, but they're devastating to patients and family, particularly preferred arterial disease. I can just share with you this week. We were able to save a couple people's legs that otherwise were, I think, uh, damned, destined, whatever term you want to use for an amputation. Mm-hmm. So we're really proud of what we're doing with the the way of the heart of innovation, the way to my heart, to save my piggies. And so we're going to get rolling here. Perhaps, Colin, my esteemed... Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. inspiration. You know what, Colin? It's, it's as if we practice that. <laughs> But uh, so today is January 27th. A lot of things happened this day. Um, our, the U.S.'s involvement in Vietnam ended uh, in the 70s. Um, I believe the, sh- the Challenger blew up uh, today, which was a sad day in 1986. But uh, Wolfgang uh, Amadeus Mozart was born and he has a lot of quotes. And I just found this one to be kind of interesting and it's something to just think about uh, but he's quoted as saying as i quote i pay no attention whatever to anybody's praise or blame i simply follow my own feelings and i think that's kind of important as we 
transverse or, or excuse me, traverse this world. Uh, we often spend a lot of time thinking about what others think about us. And um, somebody had told me that you'll spend less time doing that when you realize how little they actually do. Um, but I like the quote. It just follow your feelings, do what's right, be kind to other people and kind of who cares what other people think about you. Um, with that, we are going to move into our conversation with J.R. Coates. J.R., thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks. Uh, hey, happy to be here. Really appreciate you joining us. So why don't you let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, what you're doing right now, how you got to that point, and then we'll get into into your sister because you too have an interesting medical history. Mm-hmm. The whole family does. Um, so I uh, was born in my sister as well uh, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is close to Duluth, Minnesota. We're about 30 minutes from the border uh, with Minnesota. And uh, Grew up in a medical family. Our dad was a psychiatrist. Our mom was a nurse. And uh, I have an older brother who became a family doctor. He has an interesting history with blood clots as well. And uh, yeah, so my sister was the healthiest of us. And in high school, she won some tennis trophies, Mid-Canada Junior Girls Champ. And she saw a show with Martina Navratilova where she was bodybuilding to uh, improve her tennis game. So she started working out and found that she developed muscles easily, which she then went on to do powerlifting, bench press competitions, and started to get into the bodybuilding with uh, posing routines. Um, she has a biology degree from Lakehead University, and she they asked her to model for anatomy exams. So they put little labels on her muscles. It's quite funny. <laughs> And Wait, uh, to how, identify how, her muscles. How, how, how old was she at this time? She was like 20. Okay. So she's in like that. So she's in, in college. her biology degree. Gotcha. And uh, so anyway, so she was planning to be a veterinarian, but the bodybuilding and wrestling world uh, attracted her quite a bit. So she kind of modeled, modeled herself after her heroes in those fields. And eventually, uh, won her first show here in Windsor, Ontario, which is right beside Detroit. Now, is she younger or older than you? She's one year younger than me. One year younger. Okay. And so you obviously... 69, I'm born in 68. Okay. So you obviously did not pursue bodybuilding, wrestling. You're just... <laughs> the rest of us stayed as bookworms, although she was a genius. Yeah. After she passed, we were going through her uh, boxes and found... 105% in French and summer like that. <laughs> How do you get 105%? That's right. She must have got all the extra credit. <laughs> she was super smart. But uh, yeah, she won the Windsor Physique Challenge. And then the Eastern Ontario's, Ontario's, Canadian middle weight, weight, which once you win a Canadian, a national title, you can enter your IFBB Pro, International Federation of Bodybuilding Pro. And her first show was called the Jan Tana Classic, which is a sun tanning product i guess a lotion or self tanner or maybe it's actually sunblock as well anyway she won that show uh trained by charles glass who's called the godfather of bodybuilding and he's down at venice beach okay at, uh, the gold's gym there which is called the mecca of bodybuilding where yeah, Arnold sure. and everybody trained so yeah she won that show then she went on to place ninth in the miss olympia in 96 and sixth in the miss international 
in 97 and was ranked ninth in the world at that time in women's bodybuilding. So she basically, she got her degree, but then kind of said, and I'm moving to LA. I, I, I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm moving to LA and uh, I think I'm going to pursue this. Um, so what did, what did the, we've got about a minute left before we have to go to break, but okay. the, was it, was the family behind this or cause you guys, it sounds like you're all moving towards something academics and yeah. scientific and, and profession. So I worked out at the gym and thought it was really cool. And all my buddies and people were like going, JR, you should go into sports medicine, which I dabbled in a little bit later, but yeah, our parents were hoping that we'd all go into an academic field, but I think they were pretty proud in the end when they saw like her magazine covers and, you know, she became a very famous fitness model at that time before she transitioned into pro wrestling in the 2000s. Um, she just felt the women were getting too big and she didn't like that look aesthetically and found it really difficult, the dieting and, and, and that for the shows. So stay. we've got to go to break, but stay with us. We'll be right back continuing our conversation with J.R. Coates on this special Save My Piggies episode. Stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including Cardiovascular System's Diamondback 360 Athrectomy System, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Save My Piggies, your life, your limb, your story, with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Welcome back, everybody. We are live on AM 860, The Answer, and uh, we're obviously recording this uh, for the podcast. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. J.R. Coates, who's sharing stories and memories about his his sister. We, we just heard that she kind of pivoted from going down that scientific profession, which JR and his dad and brother went into and mom. And now she's, she said, Hey, uh, the bodybuilding thing's working for me. I'm, I'm moving to, to, you said LA starting to do a little wrestling, but obviously she had what sounds like an amazing career cut. Life was cut short due to some cardiovascular issues. Yes. Tell us about your family history. Tell us about your medical history as well. Okay, so um, blood clots have uh, plagued our family, the scourge of our family. Um, at the time of my sister's problems, we totally forgot that my dad had had an angioplasty to a femoral artery or iliac artery lesion. Must have been femoral in yeah. uh, London, Ontario. So he had some claudication way back in the 80s. So he might have been 50 years old. Mm-hmm. the time then that was overshadowed by a heart attack he had and then eventually he had like triple bypass when he was 70 
Um, and then as far as me, my first blood clot, I was 22 years old, first semester in medical school, University of Ottawa, and started to get calf pain. And nobody seemed to want to recognize it or believe that I could have it. So I saw multiple doctors, went to emergency and was told. Were you trying to diagnose yourself? Trying to figure out what the hell's going on. I can't sure. walk. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I went to emerge. They're like, what are you doing here? This isn't an emergency. So it was very frustrating, but we had a, once a week, we'd have a placement an afternoon with a specialty to sort of get your first taste of actual medicine when your head was out of the books. Mm-hmm. So uh, a family doctor said, I think you have a DVT, go back and ask for a venogram and venous Doppler ultrasound. So I went back and it was all the way into my pelvis. And at that time, they... Uh, didn't have low molecular weight heparin, so I was admitted for eight days on IV heparin while they got my INR up on the Coumadin. And wow. I mean, so, just think about just think about it now, right? You, you, we're sending people home the same afternoon. Now, obviously, with yours being how high up it was, maybe yeah. we clean it out. But it's because mm-hmm. this was totally different now. Yeah. I mean, this was what, in the 80s? This 90s? was 1990. 90. OK. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 30 years ago. So how, how did you get a DVT? <laughs> We don't know uh, that some interesting things. I mean, I was doing a lot of bike riding. Mm-hmm. It was a 16 hour drive from Thunder Bay to Ottawa, Ontario. Okay. It was broken up into two eight hour stints. And so I don't see why that would have done it. And I had infectious mono that fall. Okay. The classic rash, which confused everything when I'd taken amoxyl for a strep throat, supposedly. Oh. So I always wonder if an inflammatory cascade related to the virus triggered a familiar. Have you, do, do you have um, a, hyperqua- a hyperquagable state in your family? So we've all been tested and nothing has shown up. But okay. I, our other sister, Mary Beth, my older sister, she's had DVTs, some cousins on my mom's side. Our mother died of a massive PE at age 63 in 1996, just as Melissa's career was peaking, which I think may have had an effect on how that progressed. But, but yeah, I had to do CPR on her. It was very traumatic. And oh, my gosh. Her so- only sign was some foot pain about a week before, and she went saw a doctor who gave her Voltaren and a cane. So, so she probably had a, <laughs> and didn't order a Doppler. She probably had a DVT. Obviously. And then she had a DVT yeah. and she had been in a car accident about two months before that. So we think maybe that triggered something. Plus she was on hormone therapy because they thought that was the thing to do. Go on estrogen. So, so then you've had, you've had a DVT. Um, you also had premature coronary artery disease too. So I had a second DVT in uh, October in 97. Okay. That one was only up to the knee. So each time they just treated me for a period of time with the cumin and then stopped it. Then 2002, I had an MI, non-STEMI, uh, inferior MI. So affecting the lower part of the heart, served by the right coronary artery. They did uh, angioplasty and a thrombectomy. They pulled some clot out of there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sent a little piece into my eye. So right after the procedure, I would see a dot over everybody's left shoulder. Eventually, that little... Embolus went away. My brain compensated. Or so the so it's, it's, I shouldn't say it's interesting, put in then. but in our space as an interventional cardiologist, mechan- so that thrombectomy, right, which I use, but it's actually 
a class three, if I remember correct, class three indication to not use that, mm-hmm. to, to use that thrombectomy because of exactly what happened to you, embolization of some of that clot into the into the brain, into the eye. Mm-hmm. I've never actually heard of that or and now I'm speaking to you actually had it happen. Um, but yeah. wow. So 2002, maybe it was different. T- yeah. I mean, years ago or, yeah. but, but so you're dealing with your own health issues, but then all, all of a sudden now your sister starts developing some health issues also. Is this at the peak yeah. of, so she's in living in California now. So at that point she was living in Las Vegas when she developed her, okay. Her, uh, so her career is kind of taken acute off. Limb, acute ischemic limb. So her career, I mean, really she peaked early in the 90s with the bodybuilding. Okay. And then she tried to transition pro- to pro wrestling. Is really well known on TV lots. Was on WWE. Uh, in did she go? What was her? Master Lock Challenge. He, he, she was his first female opponent against Chris Masters. Uh, she had various characters. Uh <laughs> One was called the Bag Lady. <laughs> there was Mile High Melissa, but she liked to oh, okay. go by Melissa Miss Olympia Coates because oh. she was in the Miss Olympia. And her final character was Super Genie uh, for Sabu, uh, famous ECW extreme wrestler Sabu. And uh, they became partners romantically, and she was his manager since 2014 until okay. Sing. So did she ever did she ever share with you? I'm curious. We'll talk about um her her, her medical ailments, but wrestling's fake, isn't it? Wrestling is set it's as fake as going to any Hollywood movie. So okay. If you like move action movies and you're excited by it, that's the exact same, although they're maybe not as good some of the wrestlers with their stunt acting. So yeah, the plot's all set up. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. Predetermined. They're going to be the winner. But all the acrobatics, the lifting people over your head, all that is still physically demanding. And uh, so obviously, I think man. if they're really good and you watch it, it's like, holy cow, I'm watching a stuntman. That's yeah. what Sabu was like. I felt like I was live watching a movie being filmed with stunt actors. So obviously, in, she's in fantastic shape and mm-hmm. she's doing very strenuous activities. And we've got about a minute left, so we'll continue this when we come back from the break. But you would think that someone who is this physically fit at the peak of their performance at, throughout probably through their life, all of a sudden develop some 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 vascular issues mm-hmm. seemingly out of the blue. Yeah, she had no problems before this. Uh, the last time I saw her at the gym, like maybe a year before this happened to her, she was walking backwards and sideways on the treadmill. And I was like, if she loses a limb, I should have like no limbs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, what What I'd like to um, just pick your brain about within the next segment is, is you know, your thoughts as to what, what, what happened. But uh, stay with us. We're coming up to a break and um, we'll be right back with Dr. J.R. Coates. So uh, hang in there, please. My symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. 
My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg, arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.com. Or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story. With host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Welcome back, everybody. This is the first Save My Piggies of 2024. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. J.R. Coates, who's sharing his story, which is a very sad story with respect to his sister, Melissa. So just before we went to break, you were sharing with us that Melissa um, kind of acutely developed or uh, some leg discomfort in, in, in the setting of being very active in a very demanding job from a physical standpoint. And so All let's right. let's talk about let's talk about her now and and, and what happened mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of explore that story. So Melissa uh, continued to wrestle through the 2010s this past decade and uh, partnered up with Sabu, who's a famous extreme wrestler, wrestled with ECW and WWE. And she seemed to be doing okay. She had a risk factor. She smoked, which I used to yell at her about. And, uh, she did have a right knee injury, an ACL repair in about 2011. That was a wrestling injury. But she still seemed to be able to walk. She was physically active, you know, was walking backwards, sideways on treadmills and, uh, you know, out racing me. So then uh, in 2020, the pandemic came and all the shows were canceled because, of course, they involved large crowds. So that was pretty hard on her and the border closed. So we couldn't visit her. Um, And so she started to get some calf pain and went to an urgent care in the summer of 2020. And I got the records from that clinic and uh, there was no documentation of pulses, cap refill, their foot was warm. So we're wondering, was that something that led to, her losing her leg. Um, but so she managed it like it was a tendonitis, I guess, on her own, Achilles tendonitis. And then uh, that, well, I imagine year, they, that they, prob- she, they, they probably didn't think that a physically fit woman yeah. in her, what, she's in her late 40s at this time? She was 50, 50 year, 51 years old. 51. So, 20. yeah, I mean, they, but, they probably didn't register. So yeah. it sounds like they missed the diagnosis of limb-threatening ischemia. Yeah, there could have been some claudication going on. Mm-hmm. 
chronic limb ischemia that wasn't caught. We, we'll, we may never know, I guess. But that year she was sick several times. So we thought maybe you had COVID. So during that year, um, there was no vaccine available yet, which of course is controversial. I think both can cause blood clots, but uh, the disease itself probably worse. But anyway, so my poor little sister then developed really severe calf pain. And she said, I can't take this. I'm going to emerge. So she went to emerge this one evening. I'm kind of waiting. Oh, I wonder what's going on. 2.30 in the morning, I get a text. Help me. <laughs> Can you please call the nursing station? They want to amputate my leg. <laughs> and uh, my so hand shaking for half an hour. I couldn't even reply to the text or phone her. I was like, holy. You're, you're I'm just totally blown away. Completely out of the blue. She's got calf pain. And next thing you know, she's saying they're going to remove. She needs her leg amputated. So obviously something dramatic happened. Yeah. Wow. So I still think maybe something was brewing, but something went totally crazy in uh, early October, late September, early October, 2020. And so she was admitted to hospital in Vegas, uh, wound up in there for 40 days including a rehab facility. So she lost her leg with no visitors. So she went in, they wanted to amputate her leg. My brother and I tried to talk to doctors over the phone as much as we could to help her consulted some of our medical colleagues. She sent us videos of her, her leg and her foot. And so they, first thing they tried was, uh, of course we put her on low, on heparin, I guess, Mm -hmm. I bet. And, uh, what do you call it, Jane? So the radiologist, interventional radiologist, tried to dissolve the clots, mm-hmm. which during that procedure, she developed projectile vomiting of coffee, of black coffee ground emesis and blood. So she had a perforated gastric ulcer that just went crazy when she was on the blood thinners. Poor thing. Uh, so they I think they had to stop the blood thinners and kind of stop that procedure. And I figured she was probably taking tons of ibuprofen because her leg was killing her or something. Um, so after that, they did some CT angios. They probably did that in the first place. Mm-hmm. She had a stent put in a, her left iliac artery. I'm not sure what the degree of obstruction was there that they were concerned about. She had no atrial fib. When no, you're talking to, you know, usually our patients don't have a family member that's a physician. And oftentimes they get told they're having, they need an amputation Hmm. and they often, uh, you know, kind of their minds racing, like, wait a second, how did this happen? How do I get a second opinion? How do I ask, well, you know, better questions, but you know what questions to ask. Were you getting the right answers? Were you feeling frustrated at all? Or did, did you think things were going as well as they could have despite these terrible circumstances? We were feeling frustrated, and it was like a crash course in <laughs> peripheral vascular disease yeah. and ischemic limbs. Um, I think they thought we were difficult, <laughs> but I guess they had probably had a billion family members calling in because nobody could have visitors. Right. right. Horrible, horrible time for everybody. Um, so then we uh, argued with them to try an embolectomy. So I guess a vascular surgeon tried to go in above and below her knee. So Mm -hmm. she was totally blocked from, I guess, the knee down 
all the branches to her lower limb. And they couldn't really rotor root much of the clot out. He did fasciotomies and they had vacuum pumps on, vacuum device, I guess. And eventually, after about a week, it looked like nothing was working and her foot was turning more and more black. So he said, you got to get this leg off of you. It's like a ball and chain. It's going to drag you down with it if you don't. Because she's been in the hospital now for several. For at least seven or eight days. Seven or eight days. They actually consulted psychiatry to talk to her because she was refusing to let them take her leg off. And she kept thinking there's some way my brothers are going to be able to figure this out. Well, that's got to be so. I mean, that's just horrible, right? Because she's trying to wrap her mind around this she has she can't see anybody right and there's no yeah. family allowed it's just you must feel so isolated i i it's and this, this was her whole career yeah yes modeling being independent lifting people over her head yeah jumping around wrestling the whole thing it was like just shattering to her whole uh, i guess self-perception of her self and her who she was as a person to to lose her mobility that way so she ultimately gets the amputation yeah so our dad was a psychiatrist we called his best friend who was also a psychiatrist who after my parents were both passed it was the nearest thing to having a a parent right uh, dr frost gives her a call and uh yeah he was able to talk to her and convinced her you know you said your brothers love you they're both medically experienced knowledgeable and they've investigated as much as they can to try to help you and it's time to save your life and bite the bullet yeah because if, if you wait any longer she'll get septic and die yeah um and she'll have multi-system organ failure so, so we've, got about, said, yeah. we've got about 40 seconds left before break share with us the t- you know so she's obviously wrapped it around her head that okay it's mm-hmm. time to have the amputation what, what was it like after you talked to her when she woke up from anesthesia? She was in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. She did experience a lot of phantom limb pain uh, through the rest of her life, the, the next six, seven months. Um, you know, she had anxiety, I guess probably some PTSD symptoms, was very anxious and, and sad about everything. Um but yeah, a lot of chronic phantom limb pain afterwards and was in a rehab facility. So a total 40 days and went home and had to go through the process of getting a prosthetic. Coming up after the break, we'll continue our conversation. So stay with us. Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Welcome back, everybody. So, Jr., your sister unfortunately had to have a, the left lower extremity amputation. Was it above the knee or below the knee? Above the knee. Above the knee. So that, but she's committed, right, to having a prosthesis. During the break, we were talking. The hope was that she'd get the prosthesis, wear the prosthesis, maybe get back into the ring and not wrestle. But, but so I mean, what happened? Tell us about the the, the transition now from a woman who physically fit phenomenal athlete wrestler now is missing a leg and needs to learn how to walk again right so um of course there was a recovery time um she had the 
phantom limb pain, as I mentioned. She's quite anxious to avoid falling because she didn't want to disrupt the healing of her left leg stump. And she got fitted for a prosthetic. Uh, we sent our, my daughter down, her niece, Cassie Coates, because uh, the vaccine wasn't available yet. And she was infected in the first wave. So we kind of thought, okay, you're, you're young and have antibodies. So we sent Cassie down to help her out. So she, she was bringing her to physio appointments and all that. So yeah, it's quite a, there's a famous hero in Canada, Terry Fox, who ran across the country with uh, one leg on a prosthetic limb in 1980 to raise money for cancer because he lost his leg due to cancer. Okay. So you think, oh, it's easy. Just get this limb and you can run across Canada. <laughs> but it turns out that it's really hard to learn to walk on a prosthetic leg, maybe even when you're in your early 50s and she had a sacroiliac joint pro- issue before this, things like that. But um, your leg changes shape as it heals so you have to get recasted for new prosthetic limbs. So she'd have a limb, be practicing for a while, and then have to be back in a wheelchair for two or three weeks while she got a new leg made. Uh, the whole process was very frustrating to her. and But she, you know, toughed it out, was courageous. I, I feel she did her best, and I was proud of her as she did her rehab. Uh, GoFundMe was started to try to get money for one of the expensive legs which cost 60 to 100 grand but you can do a lot more with them and no no does insurance cover some of that so her insurance only covered a basic sort of 15 grand leg, which seems (laughs) sounds like a lot sure Um, but this is i guess more of a hydraulic knee or something whereas the other ones you can change you can hook it up to your phone and adjust it for riding a bike and wow was she was she able to get one? She didn't get one in time because she passed away. So she passed away in June, June 23rd, 2021, about five days after her 52nd birthday and passed in her sleep. She had had a seizure within 24 hours of that. And I wondered if it could have been like some like hypoxic, like maybe she had an arrhythmia or something that triggered this. Something wasn't quite right, but she didn't get checked. And on the autopsy, they did find that she had a cardiomyopathy, so her chambers of the heart were dilated and it weighed less than a normal heart. Mm. I wondered if she had like that taxobuto cardiomyopathy, broken heart syndrome because of all the stress she went through. I I would imagine that they probably would have evaluated her heart prior to amputation. So between the time she had the amputation and her death, how long was that? So the amputation was around October 15th. Okay, so 7th. October 20th, and then she died June 23rd. So seven, eight, eight seven months, eight months. Eight months. And so she just, yeah. I mean, never really recovered from this? Or did you, I mean, did you get a sense that she wasn't going to survive this? I didn't. And then in retrospect to learning more about this, I'm shocked to hear like what the death rate is within, you know, one year and five years of losing a leg, but it's worse than most cancers. Well, that's what we say. We say that, well, when I talk to patients, I tell them that what you have, perfluorotyrial disease, is a cancer. We can put it in remission. We don't cure it. And we can make you live long, but, you know, it may shorten your life. So, So, 
I, I guess the thought was that maybe this was COVID related. Mm-hmm. So they swabbed her negative when she was admitted. Okay. And I'd heard a lot about people getting blood clots from it. So that was always in my mind. And I said, why don't they check your antibodies? For some reason, it was never done. But she paid for the blood test herself when she got out. And it showed positive that she'd been infected in 2020. So we wonder if that's related. You know, but did she we have, must obviously have a blood clotting disorder in the sure. family that hasn't been identified by tests. But right. when I got a virus, I got a DVT and she got a virus and sometimes shortly after develop blood clots in her leg arteries. So you, you now your family's dealing with the death of your sister, but you took this upon yourself as a, a, a charge to raise awareness for limb loss in your neck of the woods. Is that right? So my Melissa had intended to do some public speaking and some events to raise awareness about limb loss, especially about, you know, how difficult it is and the expense of the treatment and getting a prosthetic limb. Um, and I thought of, I was had ideas how to uh, further her, her wishes in this regard. And one of them was uh, maybe to set up a wrestling charity wrestling match or an event like that, which uh, we're working on one currently here in Ontario with a major wrestling promotion company. Um, and it's tied to a new initiative the Ontario government has for our province to decrease limb amputations. So there's about 10 districts in the province that were chosen for a pilot project to raise awareness of limb loss and to help identify people at risk and uh, prevent limb loss. So Did you I was asked that- to help with this because of my sister's story, and they thought maybe people would be interested in her story and uh, that obviously it's something I'm passionate about did her story make the make news make the news in in windsor so that's probably imminent especially if we get the wrestling show up and running so we're hoping to work with uh the local shelters to get footwear and orthotics for homeless in the area in the region because they're the highest risk um of course, frostbite and things are high risk and just not having good footwear when you've got diabetes or neuropathy puts you at high risk. So that is in under works. And the limb program through each district is uh, in process. I'm just kind of consulting. I don't run our local program. But a lot of the teams are doing things like hiring a wound care nurse affiliated with a nurse practitioner and okay. an occupational therapist or chiropodist. So to identify people who are at risk, get them offloaded if there's dangerous areas on, on their feet as far as bunions and, and things that might lead to wounds and getting them to wound care and vascular surgeons and imaging as rapidly as possible. Also a big uh, educational campaign to get patients themselves aware of the importance of foot care and checking your feet and for primary care practitioners to be making sure we are checking our people's feet. Do you personally feel uh, the need to raise awareness for limb loss? Well, for sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, I've got a little graph here. It shows Ontario's limb loss rate is close to 40 or 100,000 people per year, if that makes sense. Do you know epidemiology? Amputations per 100,000 person years, 40 for Ontario. 
which is worse than the United Kingdom, Sweden, Norway, New Zealand, Denmark. Well, Hungary and Slovakia are worse. I mean, this is why this is why we have this this show, right? To to raise awareness. Because to your point, when you have an amputation, it's it's devastating. Um, so we've got uh, we've got we're up upon a break right now. But when we come back, we'll finish our conversation with Dr. J.R. Coach. So stay with us. You don't want to miss it. Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story, with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Our final segment with Dr. J.R. Coates. So, J.R., I, I think if I can read the tea leaves, you're proud of your sister. You're proud of what she did, and, and I think you want to carry on her legacy. What do you think your sister would say to us if she if she could regarding, you know, limb loss, the struggles that she went through or the prosthesis to get the right prosthesis. Uh, what, what would she, sh- what would she say? So my sister was uh, quite concerned about that initial exam she had at the urgent care clinic uh, about two months before she lost her leg, that she wasn't examined properly. And uh, so I think she would really, want everybody to be aware if you develop pain in the leg, take your shoes and socks off, insist that the doctor examining you checks your pulses, your cap refill. So the circulation and uh, for numbness, you know, checks neurological and vascular status of your foot. You know, it could just be a tendonitis, but you don't know. There's a chance it could be something limb-threatening and life-threatening, like what she went through. So, yeah, definitely anybody with uh, with leg pain should have their feet examined. The and, uh, You know, the physical exam is what we learn, like, day three in medical school. And unfortunately, in my opinion, it has kind of gone the way of the dodo, uh, where we often don't examine patients. We order tests on them, imaging tests, but you're right. So she uh, mentioned, Oh yeah, my brother had a DVT and my brother had a pulm. Our other brother, David had a pulmonary embolism, a problem with PEs. So they did a venous Doppler, but they didn't check her arteries. So maybe if they'd done an arterial Doppler at that point, they would have identified something that could have been fixed. Um, So yeah, definitely insist on having your, pulses and your sensation and and strength checked in your feet. Um, Especially if it's an acute onset of pain. Um, What else? She also wanted people to be aware of how difficult it is once you lose a leg and the whole process of getting walking again with a prosthetic limb. It's not as easy as it looks. Um, But then that's the thing too. We, we, there's oftentimes patients that don't want the amputation and, we want them to have, if they need it, we want them to have it soon so they don't lose muscle mass so they can rehab quicker. And, but it sounds, I mean, it, it sounds like your sister did the best she could. Unfortunately, she succumbed to the disease, but you're carrying the flag for her and you're helping the folks in your area. And it sounds like Ontario is doing a, 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 a the right thing with respect mm-hmm. to raising awareness. I truly hope that you get that fundraiser wrestling um, match for her. And I have to ask you, JR, will you be jumping in the ring? (laughs) 
I could jump in the ring just to give a little speech. <laughs> I don't think I'll be wrestling anybody. Did she ever wrestle? You, did she ever wrestle you? No, I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't piss her off. <laughs> I, I would imagine. Good brother. Good brother. I would imagine she could have wiped the floor with several of us. <laughs> yeah, she time. had fun like picking up little cousins and my daughter Cassie, <laughs> lifting them around. Yeah, that 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 that's amazing. Uh, so what what? Real quick, your practice, do you spend a lot of time with folks that have diabetes and are at risk for peripheral arterial disease, or is that not part of um, the, the yeah. type of patient you see? The family practice, I mean, diabetes is like bread and butter. So high blood pressure, diabetes, atherosclerosis, coronary artery disease. Yeah, we see lots of it. I'm, we're now using or trying to push the use of the in-lows tool. You might be aware of that. It's neurovascular status in your feet. It's a little chart, and then it can tell you if the patient's low, moderate, or high risk for uh, foot wounds and amputations. And then that guides us to how often we should follow up. Because some people aren't coming in frequently enough. Some doctors aren't aware of how often to have patients examined and that we, how much they need to get their shoes checked to make sure there's no pressure points that, are, that could predispose them to a foot wound. Well, JR, we're wrapping things up. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your sister's story on this episode of Save My Piggies. Truly appreciate it and look forward to having you on the show again sometime to hear what's going on in Ontario. Thanks for the opportunity. Listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real time support, and high touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and Abbott. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.